electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, it's Veterans Day, and former CIA Director General David Petraeus says it's a good day to give thanks and to hire our servicemen and women. What our portfolio companies have learned is that hiring a veteran is not just the right thing to do, it's really the smart thing to do from a business perspective. And while we're talking strategy, the retired Army General says Joe Biden's campaign promises may not live up to geopolitical practice. What you can do then is manage endless wars because ending endless wars uh, is a great campaign slogan, but it doesn't always work out the way you intended. And ride-sharing app Lyft is hoping for a lift to its business post-pandemic, CEO John Zimmer. The company is a great recovery stock because it's tied to mobility and, and transportation and economic activity. It's Wednesday, November 11th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Squawk Box on this Veterans Day, a day that we remember veterans we've lost and thank those who have served us in the past and continue to serve us today. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin, and our next guest knows firsthand the value of hiring a veteran. Let's welcome David Petraeus, retired four-star Army general. He's former CIA director and now KKR's Global Institute director. KKR's Vets at Work program, by the way, has hired nearly 90,000 veterans and their spouses since the program's launch back in 2011. And General, thanks for being with us today. It's great to see you. Great to be back. It's a wonderful Veterans Day tradition. Yes, you join us every year to talk about this. Um, but what's really important is this is not a one-day event for you all. This is something you are for- focused on all year. I think just since last year, you've hired something like 10,500 veterans or their spouses to put to work through KKR. And, and, and that's really amazing. Why don't, why don't we talk about what you're getting when you hire a veteran and and why a lot of these veterans have had much tougher times coming back into the workforce. Well, what our portfolio companies have learned is that hiring a veteran is not just the right thing to do, it's really the smart thing to do from a business perspective. And once they've had experience with veterans and with their spouses, by the way, who have also sacrificed and served uh, in many respects uh, as well, once they've hired them, they realize how attractive the values, the attributes, the qualities, the experiences, the ex- expertise, leadership skills, and above all, frankly, the teamwork uh, that individuals learn while in the service and often quite diverse teams, as you would expect. So veterans have become very attractive in the workplace, and it was not surprising that in the last couple of years, the unemployment rate for act- former active duty veterans was a good bit lower than the very low unemployment rate that we had in the country at the time. What kind of roles did these veterans go to work into? What, what, what's an example or two? Well, it really varies. Uh, we have numerous uh, commissioned officers who have gone into financial uh, work, often after doing a business degree. Uh, and then there are others that are foremen on uh, assembly lines and are working in some of our uh, industrial companies. Uh, again, it's the entire gamut. And needless to say, it depends Uh, on what the individual did in the service. Uh, We own the largest medical evacuation helicopter company in the world, or certainly in the United States. 
Uh, and I went to inspect the maintenance facility and some of their other facilities, and what I saw were plenty of my old friends from the days when we invaded Iraq with the 101st Airborne Division with 254 helicopters. Um, so again, there you had the pilots, the crews, uh, you even had medevac uh, experienced uh, pilots and crews as well. So again, it very much depends on what their background was, what additional education or training they may have received, because there's an awful lot of great programs out there. Now they're uh, adding IT skills to the resumes of mm -hmm. the veterans that are uh, in the job market. You know, you mentioned that the unemployment rate for veterans has, has dropped significantly over the last several years. KKR has a huge number of businesses that, that it, it oversees and that it owns uh, at least a stake in. What, what did it used to be when you would go to the head of a business when this first started out and tried to explain to them why a veteran would make a, a good job candidate? And what's it like now when you talk to heads of businesses? Well, there's no convincing that needs to be done anymore. Uh, maybe a decade or a bit more ago, there were some questions about veterans, uh, whether they could adapt to the civilian workplace, uh, all of these kinds of issues, which have turned out by and large to be untrue. Uh, again, veterans are used to seeing a task through. They get up early in the morning. They've been on battlefields. They have faced far greater challenges than you're going to see in most businesses in the United States. Uh, and over time, uh, the CEOs and the leaders of the businesses that we own, and by the way, the other private equity firms have similar records, the large ones, um, th these leaders have come to realize that you really can't get enough veterans. Uh, they want them more and more uh, because, of, as I noted before, it's the smart thing to do from a business perspective. And, of course, it is also the right thing to do. It is. You know, General, while we have you here, I'd like to ask you about what's happening now. President-elect Biden said yesterday that he's not worried about the transition, that they're able to do things just fine. But our own M. Javers has done some reporting that suggests that there is a problem if you get to the point where you can't do background checks at some point, where you can't put people in positions, and that back in 2000, there were some issues with the transition team going over to President Bush at that time, that they weren't able to get a lot of people put into the national intelligence positions that they had hoped for. Um, and that could have caused some problems with 9-11 coming up not long after that. Are, are you worried about this transition at this point or what happens with the challenges that are coming on this? Is our national security prepared? Well, you know, I had a great mentor over the years, General Jack Keane. I worked for him several different times, including in the great 101st Airborne Division when he was the commander and I was his ops officer. And he used to tell the battalion and brigade commanders that if you really love your unit, if you really care for it, you will suppress your ego, you'll let your successor into the organization before you even leave, before the change of command, get out of your house so that your successor can move in, uh, and even move out of the office so that your successor can move in there, uh, say, a day before the change of command ceremony, so that everything from there on out goes smoothly, because, again, you deeply care about your unit. So my hope would be, obviously, that whatever legal challenges are raised will be resolved very expeditiously. Uh, it's completely ahistoric uh, to imagine that somewhere f from six to 7,000 votes would change uh, as a result of this. But again, let it play through. But I don't understand why, in the meantime, actually, you can't still get on with a transition in terms of the time-consuming tasks, and you identified several of those. Uh, background checks for those who will require the top clearances. So that, again, on, elect on the inauguration day at noon uh, on J January 20th, 
the new administration can step right in. You can have as seamless a transition as is possible. General, it's Andrew Sorkin here. Um, we had talked to Alex Azar, Secretary of Health and Human Services, and asked him about whether his transition team uh, relating to COVID, uh, given that we have this raging pandemic, would speak with uh, the other side, if you will, the Biden transition team. And the answer clearly was no. Are you suggesting that uh, these, these folks do this without the blessing of the White House? Well, obviously, they're not going to do it without the blessing of the White House. That has been clearly indicated. Uh, so one would hope that, again, if you really care for the country, uh, or at the very least, exhaust these legal challenges as quickly as is absolutely possible, you know, ideally by early next week, and so that you can then get on with this. The Biden team announced their various transition teams uh, just yesterday, I believe it was, all of the different departments and agencies and so forth. They are ready to go. Uh, by the way, I'm nonpartisan and, and uh, don't favor either party, uh, So, but I do favor the country. And I do believe that we should en enable the incoming team to have as smooth a transition as is absolutely possible for the good of the country. Uh, Biden's campaign promised to end what he called endless wars. Uh, what's your reaction to that? What do you just think about the troops at this point, where things stand, how their morale is? Well, morale is always an individual event, as uh, the great command sergeant Major Marvin Hill used to say, who did four combat tours with me. Um, but by and large, uh, our young men and women uh, on the battlefield preparing to conduct operations out there, deterring uh, would-be aggressors and so forth, uh, they're doing just fine. And again, the, the military will, will be solid throughout all of this. It's an institution. Uh, it will largely be unfazed. Uh, it's ready whenever the time comes. Uh, but what we have done on the battlefields is really quite remarkable. Uh, we have, because of the constellation of drones that we can put up and a variety of other enablers, been able to support our host nation partners in countries like Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, and so forth, with very, very small numbers of forces. And I don't completely understand the imperative for removing every single one of those, noting uh, that I used to hear very senior policymakers say that we have ended the war in Iraq. And I would want to raise my hand and say, excuse me, we haven't ended the war in Iraq. We have ended our involvement in the war in Iraq. And we can do that. We can end our involvement in places. But we may then well find that we have to go back in. Uh, again, we went to Afghanistan for a reason. That's where the 9-11 attacks were planned, when al-Qaeda had a sanctuary in Afghanistan during Taliban rule. Um, I don't know why they would not try to reestablish that, something they have done ever since we uh, kicked them out of Afghanistan and took down the Taliban regime. You also have the Islamic State there uh, trying to do the same thing. So if you can sustain a very small commitment that is sustainable in terms of the expenditure of blood and treasure, I think that what you can do then is manage endless wars because um, ending endless wars uh, is a great campaign slogan, uh, but it doesn't always work out the way you intend it when, that is when you withdraw your forces. The number of forces and troops we have on the ground right now, are they sufficient? Um, I would like to see a few more, frankly, still in Afghanistan. Uh, we appear to be uh, able to support our Syrian and Iraqi partners on the ground. Keep in mind that an awful lot of what we are providing isn't boots on the ground at this point. It's something in the air. It's the intelligence fusion. It's the advice and assistance. It's not the fighting on the front lines. And that's really quite a dramatic breakthrough. 
if you think of the 165,000 great American men and women in uniform that I was privileged to command during the surge in Iraq, and the fact that we then subsequently, a decade or more later, uh, were able to help the Iraqi security forces defeat the Islamic State with less than 5,500 uh, troops on the ground, that's really quite a significant change. And again, if you can have a sustainable commitment measured in blood and treasure, uh, I don't understand why you can't sustain it, as we have, frankly, much greater numbers in places like Korea, Europe, Japan, and a variety of other spots around the world where we've had troops for many, many decades. General, the world is, is always such a, a complex place, and I know you've been, uh, you know, w watching the way we've, we've handled things over the years. You saw the, the Trump administration's approach to a lot of things, and I guess the, maybe not the, the greatest moment, according to some, was what happened with, uh, with our allies, the Kurds, and, and with Erdogan, uh, et cetera. But, you know, there's some, uh, in the, uh, the Obama-Biden administration, people point to certain things that, that maybe didn't work out as well as they could have, whether it was a red line, um, you know, going all the way back to the surge, I think Vice President Biden at that point didn't want to do the surge, wanted to split Iraq into three. Who has a great record on, on navigating these really difficult issues? And, and what do you expect our foreign policy to look like uh, with, with uh, President-elect Biden in, in charge, where there's no one, you know, discussing things with him? Well, there are clearly areas in which there will be significant change. Um, one of those will be that we will return to some of the international organizations uh, from, from which we were withdrawn. Uh, that would be the Paris Climate Accord, the World Health Organization, et cetera, and try to achieve influence in these organizations rather than uh, just leaving them. And I generally support that. Um, I would also submit that the most important effort in the world, the most important relationship in the world, that between the U.S. and China, will be one that is hopefully coherent, comprehensive, so it employs all of the capabilities that you have in the government, whole of governments on, with an S on the end. So it would include all of our allies and partners uh, in that apparently uh, the president-elect is already reaching out to leaders around the world um, and trying to revitalize, if you will, some of those relationships uh, that have uh, been hurt a bit noting that there are others, by the way, which were uh, sustained at very high levels. Uh, again, there were achievements in this past administration, some considerable. Uh, there were achievements in the previous one, but as you pointed out, there were also uh, shortcomings and missteps. Uh, I, would, I would hope that those who will come into, the, into office with uh, then-President Biden uh, and Vice President Harris will have learned from the experiences of the eight years of the of the Obama administration, uh, and among others, will recognize that the appropriate approach to irregular warfare, again, these endless wars, is to manage them rather than trying to end our involvement in them, because you can't end them. Uh, and then also, certainly, as the sh understandable shift in focus to the Asia-Pacific, the Indo-Pacific, uh, takes place, uh, that there is a, an effort that is firm, not provocative, to, to engage China uh, and also to, if possible, influence China on some of the issues uh, where the competition is the fiercest, while, of course, building on other areas uh, where there are opportunities for working together. 
General Petraeus, I want to thank you for your time with us this morning and for shining a light on veterans on this Veterans Day. We want to thank them and thank you, too, for your service. Always a pleasure to be with you again, Becky, and uh, service was a privilege. Thanks. Next on Squawk Pod Lifts, CEO John Zimmer in a rare interview. The head of the rideshare company says it's still the core business that drives decisions. There's going to be these, these marketplaces, these platforms. The world does not need another one, another consumer platform for delivery. Uh, we are focused on personal transportation. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. The coronavirus pandemic taking a big toll on the ride-sharing industry in its third quarter report. Lyft saying it had 12.5 million active riders. It's a big improvement from the second quarter, but still much lower than the last year's total of 22 million. Shares popping as much as 6% helped by news that Lyft is looking now into food delivery. This all following Monday's 26% gain. That was the day we heard that Pfizer's coronavirus vaccine candidate could be more than 90% effective. Joining us right now is Lyft's co-founder and President John Zimmer. John, uh, it's great to see you. The last time we saw each other in person was IPO day. Uh, it feels like a million years ago at this point. Let's talk about where things, where things are right now uh, with the business. Uh, clearly, the market is giving you credit or hoping to give you credit for what the world may look like 12 months from now. But uh, there's, there's a lot of wood to chop between now uh, and then in terms of getting more riders uh, in the vehicles and also trying to figure out how potentially to diversify this business. I know you've been talking about food delivery. Obviously, your biggest competitor, Uber, has had that advantage uh, during this period, but you want to approach it differently. Yeah, absolutely. We had a great quarter, 47% revenue growth uh, quarter over quarter. So, so we're proud of that. Right to recovery is happening. Uh, you know, this, uh, the company is a great recovery stock. Uh, because it's tied to mobility and, and transportation and economic activity. Uh, and on delivery, yeah, it's a broader concept than, than food. Food was just a, an example, but the basic premise is there's a, there's a large B2B opportunity uh, to use the uh, platform that we have, the technology we have, and, and partner with the drivers we have to help retailers uh, and, and all sorts of businesses deliver uh, all types of packages on a last mile basis. Can we talk about that last mile basis? Because I know people have talked about this idea before, but without the quote unquote uh, front end and, and your competitor obviously has Uber Eats, a true front end system. Yes, it's a commission oriented business, but you go to one place, you buy, buy different things. You're talking about effectively providing the last mile service, but it means that all the other retailers effectively have to have their own front end. What do you think the difference is in the distinction in terms of how how, how successful that can be? Yeah, I mean, it's still early stages. We just started talking about it. Uh, we, we've done, done some work on it. Uh, but basically, retailers uh, want the organic traffic. They want to build the customer loyalty on their platform, uh, and they don't want to pay a commission to another party uh, to create the marketplace. Uh, and that, that's where we fit in, and, and I think that's where our approach would be quite differentiated. 
But you, so you don't believe, though, that ultimately people want to go to a one shopping mall and then be able to hunt around and, and effectively find, find the store within the store uh, that they actually want to go independent as a, as a consumer I, I choice? Think, I think when, when companies, retailers start offering the best prices on their own site, uh, that, that will drive traffic organically. Look, there's going to be these, these marketplaces, these platforms. The world does not need another one, uh, another consumer platform for delivery. Uh, we are focused on personal transportation. Uh, that said, since we have the technology, uh, we have a, a phenomenal driver base that is looking for earning opportunities. It's something else that, that we will look at uh, and stay tuned for more. John, speak to us about uh, the path to profitability at this point. What has to happen? Sure. So we re yeah, uh, we reiterated that uh, we are on track and we plan to hit that uh, on an adjusted EBITDA basis. Uh, the profitability milestone by uh, the end of next year, uh, even with slower ride growth than expected. We've pulled out uh, $300 million uh, on an annual run rate. By the end of this year, we'll have pulled out $300 million of ongoing expenses, uh, which allows us to hit that target, uh, again, with much lower ride volume. When you think about uh, a potential vaccine uh, and your drivers, what, what's that timeline look like for you, and also, do you imagine potentially uh, trying to help drivers uh, financially or otherwise uh, in terms of getting access to that vaccine? Uh, you know, it's uh, anyone's prediction on exactly when the the vaccine will be distributed and at volume, uh, but we're optimistic for the first half of next year at some point uh, to have that availability. We'll we would love to to help the driver community uh, get access to that, uh, but we'll just have to wait for more details about a vaccine. What, what do you imagine pricing is going to look like in the future? And I ask just because I have to imagine that during this period, uh, there's going to be a bit of a consolidation uh, in terms of market share that both you and Uber may ultimately gain in the mobility space. You keep hearing about small businesses, including local taxi firms, um, car services and the like, dispatch operations, uh, really struggling during this period. Yeah, I mean, we've, you know, different than Uber, we've taken a portfolio approach to transportation. So we have, you know, bikes, rideshare, as you mentioned, uh, rideshare has been hit, as everyone knows, uh, but, but seeing that quarter over quarter recovery. Um, so we, we like our portfolio approach. We sell bikes here in New York City. City Bike uh, is a program that we own and operate. Uh, that has been up year over year. So I think by having a broader portfolio of transportation options, we can weather this type of uh, tough situation. But, but again, though, in terms of long term, in terms of pricing, obviously, there's been a price war that's been happening in a lot of different cities over the years. Do you imagine prices ultimately go up? That's where the margin is to make this all happen? There's been a significant rationalization over the last uh, one to two years uh, from the price wars that existed previously. Uh, I think that rationalization will continue. Uh, you know, no, not going to predict exactly where prices go if they move from here. Uh, but we're going to have differentiated set of products. Uh, even within rideshare, so that we have a low-cost option. We've added uh, something called wait and save, where if you're less, uh, you know, if you're more patient and you can wait a few minutes, a few extra minutes, it allows us to better optimize the marketplace. And we can offer uh, savings to the customer. Uh, your your biggest competitor, Uber, uh, announced a service uh, just yesterday, I believe, uh, that effectively puts them in direct competition with the old dispatch model. Uh, the idea that you can book out a car uh, up to 30 days in advance at a specific time. You need to go to make an appointment, go to the airport, whatever. Um, you think you think that's going to have a, and by the way, for our, our corporate audience of, of business communities that have historically used, continue to use in certain cases, 
um, you know, sort of the dispatch services, these, these local black car services. What, what do you think ultimately happens to them? And, and do you plan to, uh, to, to come up with a similar product? Yeah, I mean, we, I believe we're the first uh, of the two companies to have scheduled rides. So I think this is just a repackaging uh, of something that, that already existed. Uh, so we have scheduled rides. Uh, you can do it in the app today across, across the country on, on all the modes. Uh, and so that's, that's nothing new to us. I think it's a great feature for if you're you know, going to the airport, uh, planning for business. Uh, and ultimately, I do think it is an opportunity for us to work with uh, existing fleets uh, to, to bring them, them more work if, if that's something that's interesting to them. Uh, before we let you go, I wanted to talk about Prop 22 uh, and what you think that ultimately says about where the country is. We've been talking about politics, as you know, uh, since the election and trying to understand uh, what's happened. One of the very interesting things is California, of course, a, a relatively liberal and progressive state um, deciding against the idea of turning these contractors into employees, something that the unions and so many others uh, in the Democratic Party had been pushing. Uh, what's, what's the lesson, the takeaway in your mind? Well, I think both parties are looking at their base and, and trying to make sure they understand who they are and what they want uh, and to get past kind of rhetoric. And what we did here was we put forward a common sense proposal that was favored by drivers, drivers favor six to one uh, to be independent contractors that employees to have the flexibility that they want, but to add benefits. Uh, so for us, it's a, a big turning point. Uh, the, the vote total is, is still increasing and, and is getting close to, I think now 59%, close to 60% support in, as you mentioned, a progressive state. Uh, so you, you can have new solutions that are compromises. Uh, and I think that the result demonstrates that. Okay, John Zimmer, great to see you. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely. Positively FedEx. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you listen. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Thoughts? Comments? Want to say hi? Tweet us at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely 
positively FedEx. 